Welcome to Mud 79. I'm Fearless Fred Kennedy, the creator of this totally original and in no way authorized Star Wars fan fiction podcast. If you're listening to this, you probably love Star Wars. I do too, and have always dreamed about telling my own story in a galaxy far, far away. A story that's less about the Jedi Temple and more about those who were on the front lines. A boots-on-the-ground story about how those living in the galaxy survive the horrors of war. That's what Mud79 is all about. If you're new to the show, welcome, but please be aware this is a series. So if you don't want to be totally lost, start from the beginning with episode one. You don't want to be a stormtrooper. This is episode 15, Bright Light. Imperial Command has dispatched two additional legions and a new overseer to the Sestin Nebula. Commodore Panna Meldeen's first act was to personally execute the former ranking officer, the captain of the Star Destroyer that has been functioning as support for local ground forces. But within days of his arrival, the civic leaders of Sestin IV's most populous and prosperous regions declare independence. A full-blown rebellion in the Sestin Nebula? What does that mean for the 79th Platoon? Will the arrival of two new legions be enough? Or does Commodore Maldine underestimate the growing resistance to Imperial rule? Let's find out. Point Hiesa was right between the Green Death and the Jetesi Heights, south of the Toblin Range, a 20-minute flight at Mach 4 west by northwest from Flaudine heart of the Bista Valley, which was the apex of recent guerrilla activities that had suddenly boiled over to everywhere. The region was home to a large number of small-time Kenyan mining operators, many of whom had become off-the-book black market distributors. This Kenyan was sold by the insurgent factions to other galactic militias, or whoever else would buy. Sell it, make your money, and use the creds to fund your war. To counteract this, the brass had a new plan, which was drop companies all over the Bista to create fire points. 200 to 300 personnel-sized camps with launch pads and medical facilities. The goal was to secure as much dirt as possible with as few troopers as possible. We'll send out daily patrols, track the enemy, hunt them down, eliminate them. Further orders will come as our mission progresses. That's all we were told when we landed with three other platoons. The entire 20th company, platoons 77 through 80, were being commanded by Captain Hiesa Imbali. She was tall, lean, and hard. She used to oversee security on Imperial transports. But due to staffing shortages on the front line when the Empire began shoring up its holdings, she wound up in the mud with the rest of us. She'd been with 1st Battalion, but transferred over to us when we lost our commanding officer in Domju. 
We knew we were getting another skipper back at Vibus, but hadn't seen her in person till we were dropped on the hill. And the second we landed, she was on us. All right, troopers. This entire area is HUD country. Hostile. That means we dig in. Fast. Every soldier, save the first and second squads of 78 platoon, are to pick up a shovel and see the medics for stims. We'll be working straight through the night. One and two of 78 platoon, load up. You're heading out on patrol. See your platoon commanders for further orders. Dismissed. We saluted and stood in formation as Husto and Vama came by with the pills. You get the shakes, you tell me. I read about you on that last Firepoint mission, Kwai. You keep hitting the stims like that, your brain's gonna be fried. Pill addiction was so common that we'd all heard of someone getting pinched stealing them from the med bed. They were severely punished after, but the odds of me getting hooked on those things wasn't likely. They shredded my insides. The next two days after a stim dose was spent curled up over the latrine, praying to any and all religious deities I could think of. I took the pills and surveyed the terrain. For now, it wasn't snowing much and the hilltop was mostly clear. But the real issue was the wind. Hill 905, Point Hiesa, wasn't the highest point, but it was still pretty far up and wide open, with sweeping views of the surrounding jungle below. Tactically speaking, it was a decent spot for defense, but it left us with zero natural shelter. Sergeants Kyra and Gentala were with squads one and three of the 79th, as we moved dirt, digging a long trench, creating drainage points. First thing the skipper wants is a full perimeter trench line. Shouldn't take more than two days. But Sergeant Kyra over here came up with an idea to ensure you're properly motivated. Before we bolted Vibus, I had one of my friends in supply toss a crate of imported Kang tree in with our stock. The squad that lays the most trench, to regulation standard of course, will get a bottle for every trooper holding a shovel. Understood? If there's one thing that got our asses in gear, it was free booze and extra downtime to enjoy it. We got to work and the shovels and picks started coming down. Even though a thermal pick was needed to break up the soil, everything was too frozen for a regular shovel alone. Murray was in my squad and he was a machine. If I was slacking, he'd start throwing shit my way about how inferior we humans were and that a Toans made naturally superior soldiers. This would devolve into a prolonged series of jabs, with each of us insulting each other's home planets. Eventually, Targon got involved, ensuring we knew how inferior both our species were to Zeltrons. Dirt and insults were flying on an industrial scale. Just as the sun rose, four more lardies landed on our freshly cleared, tamped, and flattened land that was ready to have a proper foundation poured on it. The 6th Engineering Platoon got off with a whole bunch of gear, and while they unloaded, squads 1 and 2 of 78 Platoon crawled on board one of the now vacant birds and flew out for their company's first patrol. 
I assumed that when it was our turn, we'd find out exactly what one of those patrols entailed. After ten hours of labor, we were relieved of our duties. Those stims played with your clock, because I wasn't tired at all after a day of hard work. Still, we ate, downed a liquid sedative, and trounced off to the row of prefabs that were to be our new barracks. At least until we properly dug in a half-buried Duracrete structure meant to serve as protection from enemy air fire and artillery. The other squads had been busy because cots were in rows and we were able to pull off our boots and pass out. One of the sergeants knocked on our racks eight hours later to wake us up and we headed back down the hill. A bit groggy, I managed to take stock of what the engineers had done during my chem-driven slumber. Landing pads were set and defensive posts were being prepared set mortar positions, and it looked like the engineers were laying drainage trenches and water pipes to prevent flooding. We were on our way to meet the engineers who were already there filling weave bags. These simple but effective sacks were made of dura-weave fabric to be filled with dirt or gravel and stacked in front of a trench to increase defensive capabilities. And they stopped almost all projectile fire. Dura-weave bagging was one of the best things in the Imperial Arsenal, if it was used right. So, we got to work, bag after bag, filled and stacked. I just put a sack on each shoulder when our bracelets went red. All right, troopers, you're not blind. Back to the barracks and gear up. I'll brief you as soon as I speak with the LT. We reached the crest quickly, thanks to the added adrenaline coursing in our veins. I didn't think I'd be the guy to say this, but I'm kind of glad we got the call. I tweaked my back yesterday. Getting shot at by a few swamp rats feels like welcome rest right about now. Our gear was all stowed away in our barracks boxes, where we packed it away during our rapid load-off from Vibus. How much we took with us depended on our loadout. An offensive loadout was nicer, less shit to carry, but it meant guaranteed contact. A full-on patrol meant carrying more shit, but you might not get shot at. It's all about give and take. The door to the prefab opened up and Orto was already kitted out. He was flanked by our three remaining sergeants. The patrol from 78 walked into a hornet's nest. They're held up in sector D36 and require immediate assistance. I know we're still at two-thirds operational capacity and down a sergeant, so squad three will be cut in half and placed under sergeants Hefspur and Jintala. Also, scouts Mondahai, Akim, and Kwai. Find me on the pad before we take off. I have special orders, but the rest of you will be going in hot, so that means pack your kits OL. Hit up the armory on your way to the Lardies for more ammunition. He didn't say anything else, just walked out. The sergeants, meanwhile, moved between the bunks and took note of our gear, helping everyone tighten up and pack their offensive loadout kit. I was all snapped in and pulled out my mostly assembled E11S. It was a standard issue model, and I hadn't had time to properly modify it given we were being treated as a labor unit. I wondered how long it would take for me to get it up to the standards I needed it to be. 
If the LT was putting the scouts in the hot seat, I wanted to be at my best. I had a reputation to maintain. At least that's what I told myself. Arkham was already out front waiting for Mondi and I. His skin changed color with cold temperatures, and his normal mint green turned almost white when a gust of wind hit him. Then the three of us headed off to join the platoons on the pads. Those three, get them over here. The LT was talking with Captain Mbali. These ones? Yes, sir. Troopers, we've received a message from Imperial Intelligence that there may be a person of interest operating in the vicinity of your target destination. The LT held up a hollow projector, and it showed the face of the woman who left me to die during the camp raid. She was cleaned up. There was a data stream beside the projection of her face. It was a TKID profile. She was former Imperial. High altitude recon dropper. And a towin too, like Murray. This woman is believed to be a high-ranking member of a resistance cell operating in this sector of space. We saw her on the security footage when Vipus was attacked. If you find her, she's to be taken alive. Understood? We all chimed in with a solid, Yes, yes ma'am. Ma she turned and left, but only made it a few steps away when Orto came right in front of us and hit a few buttons on the hollow projector changing the image to a small mining encampment alongside a frozen stream, which now looked like a long clearing beneath the snowed-over foliage. The image shifted to two lardies landing, and arrows emerging from them, detailing our planned assault. When we come in, I want you three to break south until you reach this bend in the stream, then follow it northeast, low and fast, staying as hidden as possible. The other squads will advance east from the LZ in force, laying heavy fire. The enemy should be too tied up to notice you, but if who we think is there actually is there, you might find yourself in a sniper's duel. Use your numbers, and if you manage to reach the encampment, put down as many militants as you can. But, and this can't be stressed enough, be mindful of civilians. Intel suggests there are non-combatants on site, potentially slaves, Brass doesn't want that kind of thing finding its way onto the hollows. Be mindful. While we were talking with the LT, the sergeants were going over the plan with the rest of the platoon. There was a lot of yelling and the dim glow of multiple hollows playing at the same time. Briefings continued as everyone boarded the two lardies, discussing the details amongst themselves. Those lardies were cramped, but it wasn't so bad. A bit of room to move around, stretch your legs at least. They were dark gray, refurbished combat models, like when we raided that warehouse on the river. The engines sounded clean, well maintained. I thought about the derelicts we'd been using a year earlier. Couldn't believe we'd been on this planet two months shy of a year already. We accelerated before even being fully airborne hit mock faster than usual, too. I peeked through the slots, but couldn't make anything out. Just lines of gray, white, and distorted blue with some green flecks. We shifted hard as the pilot climbed rapidly. Everybody hold on. We'll be dropping out of mock in three, two. The whole cabin 
lost its balance, the mutters flopping over and slamming into each other from the force of the stop. LZ is too hot for standard landing. Preparing for drop pattern six. Brace. We went into a freefall. Straight down, nose pointed downward. There's significant enemy fire in the undergrowth directly ahead of our drop point. Initiating suppressive fire. The laser turrets up ahead went off. I felt the humming more than I heard them. Gritted my teeth. Thought I was gonna throw up, so I flexed my stomach, my core, and I was short of breath, just dealing with the sensation of falling rapidly. The engines revved again, and we slowed down almost imperceptibly. Then we're all slammed down into our seats as the nose pulled up fast and came to a sudden stop, with both the doors sliding open on either side. The white light reflecting off the snow blinded us, and the cool, sharp wind flooded into our lungs. Everyone off! Move! 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 The snow-covered vegetation snapped as we leapt from the bay door onto a moderately-sized clearing. There was light blaster fire coming from the east, pot shots flying our way, but I could see the heavier fire up ahead where the vegetation grew thicker. The lardy was already pulling up as our last rifleman was hopping out of the door. The pilot hovered a meter off the ground as I wondered what the hurry was when a small-grade missile flew out of the undergrowth. The pilot maneuvered the ship almost on its side as the missile grazed beneath the right wing. Heavy turret fire chased the two birds as they rose and spun as fast as they came down. Those stick jockeys deserve to be put in recruitment videos. Column, form up, let's go. Everybody get their asses down. I was weaving through the rest of the platoon, trying to find Arkham and Mondi. We were all forming up. Everyone had their job. It was like clockwork. Tolan was hustling past with his RPS strapped to his back, slug thrower in hand. Murray was with him, the two of them hunched low. I made eye contact with Murray and he gave me a mock salute. If you die, I'm taking your Kang tree. If you die, I'm taking yours, asshole. Then they were gone. I saw Mondi with Arkham just a few meters away. This must have been a swamp in the warmer months. A lot of clear water channels, no overgrowth, just flecks of reed breaking through a dull, frozen base. The ice beneath was uneven, hard to know if it was pure ice or not. The footing was decent, but it helped that we had those amazing Imperial Issue boots. I'll take point. Fine by me. Fade back a bit. And keep pace. We wouldn't be going too fast, needing to stay low and quiet to avoid detection. Our route would take us through the frozen marsh and wetland to some heavier undergrowth. Beneath that, maybe through what would be jungle if it was warmer for 10 meters or so. And after that, a mining encampment buildings and huts clustered around a central shaft, digging for Kenyon. I looked north and watched the rest of the platoon form up and leapfrog towards the undergrowth, 
one column advancing at a time while others covered with steady fire. Constant offensive pressure. The snow turned to steam and the vegetation cooked or shattered. Those who found themselves under the bows would be soaked from the water coming down everywhere. But the overhead cover made up for it by adding to the security of their advance. Hidden across from our platoon, somewhere, were squads one and two from the 78th platoon. Get down! They'd been shoot up pretty bad. A lot of wounded. Once we arrived, they'd assumed a predominantly defensive posture. Staggering lines with interlocking fields of fire. Mortars in the rear and heavy guns up front, ensuring the enemy knew better than to advance. Now, if the 78th came in 30 strong and took a beating, it made us wonder how many guns were working this mining settlement. I heard Mondi. Looked over as she crouched in the snow, motioning me forward with her chin. Arkham was up ahead, signaling with his hands. He'd seen something. I couldn't see ahead without popping my head up, which would blow our cover. So I moved through the channels between heaped mounds of tall grass until I was beside him. I scanned where the vegetation broke near the edge of the frozen stream. The plants had been cut back, repeatedly. This was a trail. I studied the fringes, dark spots, looking for sniper hides. There, barely visible, hidden under a blanket, there was something covered by a thin layer of snow. It was a blaster barrel, wrapped in white cloth, and it was trained back behind us, closer to the LZ. Made me wonder if the shooter knew we were even here. Arkham and I nestled in close to the snow beside us. I brought up my rifle, trained in on the barrel, looking for any signs of movement. There were narrow trails of steam coming from the corners of the cloth. Were they alone? Did they have a spotter? Were there more rifles behind them? My radio clicked in. Take the shot. We need to move. I eased the trigger back. The shot went clean under the blanket. Puff of air, then a jerk. I shot again, three more times. Whatever was there wasn't moving. I dropped my rifle and moved forward, with Mondi trailing wide and behind. The blaster fire from the rest of the platoon was coming in waves. You could hear the sound shift as they got tighter to the enemy position under the trees, the way the noise reflected under the boughs. Arkham and I were close to the path along the river. Walked right past our friend under the blanket. Arkham tucked down and covered while I tossed the blanket to the side. Ensured that enemy sniper was neutralized. A male twillick, deep orange skin. Multiple blaster impacts on his head and shoulders. Had a sniper rifle in decent condition. Old Republic model. I emptied the chamber and disengaged the clip. I took it with us, just in case. We moved low, peering into the thick vegetation to the left of the frozen stream, then up ahead, then all over. 
The trail beneath the vegetation was wide. Figured they used the stream as a type of speeder path unto itself. Simple technique, used by small farmers and miners alike. Really, anyone working the boons would do something like that. We could see the outline of the first settlement buildings. Just the outline, with lights of blaster fire hewing the snow and clouds of steam rising with shades of green, red and blue, even some yellow reflected within. There was a slight snap up ahead. Arkham rolled into the brush on his left as a repeater rifle lit up in front of us. They were less than 10 meters away. It was a well-aimed burst, and Arkham was grazed even though he was quick to move out of the way as he stumbled into the trees ahead of me. I was out of their direct sight, but Bolt zipped by and I scrambled into the undergrowth as the shots rained down. I couldn't see Maundy, but didn't hear much behind me either. I tried to get to cover, like Arkham, who was scrambling up ahead. He laid flat, shimmying forward, stayed as low as he could as he reached a toppled log. I was in a low culvert, hugging the side and peered around at him. He looked wide-eyed as he popped into the comms line. There's three of them, two closer to the path, one further in, coming from the village. Another burst of fire from their position. Two blaster rifles going at once. Then from behind us, three well-placed shots from Monty's E-11S. The enemy fire stopped immediately. Arkham was up instantly. That slick Mary Allen bastard fired directly at the enemy position. I crawled out from under my cover a little further to the right, where the third shooter should have been. But I didn't see anything. Then I heard a crunch in the snow and a blurred shadow beneath the steam. I took aim and fired. The shape fluttered back and jerked, then dropped. It was a body. I moved forward, slow and deliberate, while taking quick steps. Then fired another burst into the torso while it was laying on the ground, just to be sure. Hold on the tree line. The patch of vegetation we were in was only 10 meters deep, but it was thick. It separated the mining settlement from the straits in the marshland. I came up on a series of small trenches or foxholes that formed a network which moved around the outer fringe of the tree line, in just far enough to the vegetation that you couldn't see them and dug deep enough you could hop along the entire perimeter with minimal exposure to enemy fire. These weren't full trenches though, no extra fortification, sandbags or durabagging, but the bottom was well worn, a lot of foot traffic, and most of the snow in the vicinity was melted, meaning there had been blaster fire here recently. The fighting where the platoon was advancing was getting more intense. You could hear it. Heavier grade weaponry firing off. Constant blaster bolts being exchanged. You could even hear mortars dropping steady. Our mortars. But the amount of blaster fire coming from the defender's direction wasn't slowing either. If anything, it was also picking up. The enemy was not giving an inch. 
As I moved closer to the tree line to get a better look into the settlement, I saw a cluster of figures coming towards the trail. They were looking past me. After all, there had just been an exchange of fire near the frozen stream, us, and they were coming to reinforce the defenders. I looked back at them in the dank stillness of the undergrowth. Mondi and Arkham were still moving forward. I motioned them to stop. They saw the threat too. There were six enemy fighters. Only two of them seemed well equipped, kitted out like proper soldiers, with similar gear to what we'd seen on the bandits that attacked the camp, carrying those A280s. I loved that rifle. The other four were civilians with slave collars. Mesh straps latched around their necks, rigged to blow and take your head clean off. Sometimes they're linked to a trigger. Sometimes a proximity alarm. Whatever the owner wanted made me sick. The slaves were carrying these ratty old DC-15 carbines. One of the most mass-produced and cheaply made blaster rifles of the late Republic era. And should not be confused with the DC-15A, which was a far more powerful and lethal blaster rifle. Our orders were to advance on the settlement, create a distraction, and gather intel. But we were limited by this group skulking along at our rear. They stopped near the first body, where the two bandits motioned for the slaves to check it out. I lined up and took the shot. The bolt went right through the first bandit. The other dropped, looking for cover. All four of the slaves just fired without the slightest concern for discipline. They pulled the trigger hard and constantly, a frenzy. I tucked down and stayed as flat as I could as the snow sizzled and turned the steam around me. Then the fire slowed. Mondi and Arkham took quick shots. I was still being held down, but I pushed myself along hugging the ground through freezing mud and shredded vegetation, water dripping down as the snow and ice melted above. I pulled my rifle close and kept rolling, using the steam to hide. The shooting shifted as they looked for Monty and Arkham. I caught a shadow, then pulled the rifle in line without even looking down the scope, let loose a few shots. They were hits. Caught them high on the left shoulder and they fell backwards, hitting the ground hard. One of the other slaves got shot by either Mondi or Arkham. I couldn't tell from my position, but then the big raider mercenary, the one left, staggered to his feet. Shuffled back towards the settlement as he pointed his rifle in my direction and fired randomly. Fall back! Fall back! Sound the order! The remaining pair of slaves followed, looking back in our direction, taking pot shots, just ensuring we held our spot. Did either of you get a good look at the village? I saw a bit. What are you suggesting? We do our job. You heard the guy. Their forces on the perimeter are going to be falling back. We need to be ready. I got up and skirted over to the interior tree line, looked into some shacks prefab components that were thrown together. 
wooden walkways stretching over the frozen mud. 50 meters up ahead, in the center of the clearing, surrounded by the ramshackle buildings and walkways, was the main shaft that went into the mine below. It was a decent-sized rocky outcropping, cut in half, and boulders arranged around the bottom to give it extra height. And those were reinforced with duracrete. There was a stairway running up the side, and a massive pump to keep the tunnels below dry. There was heavy-duty lifting gear as well, multiple cranes. This was way too much gear for a small-time mining operation. And there were people, too, running around frantically, dropping things, using the cranes. There were two smaller ones, good for lowering a single person, maybe 200 pounds of gear, and one big one with the strength to lower something like a mid-grade mine hauler, about the size of a two-man speeder. But there weren't many soldiers there. Almost everyone working the cranes had slave collars on and those DC-15 carbines strapped to their backs. Blaster fire was bleeding through the tree line to the north as our troops kept them rattled. Sparks and debris flying around as arid bolts of plasma hit nearby ricocheting, impacting, adding to the chaos. The slaves were stockpiling goods around the mine's entrance at the top of the hill, like they were heading down below instead of making a run for it. We needed to keep the pressure on, make it difficult for the enemy, and free as many of these people as possible. Arkham came up behind me, Mondi at his side. I jutted my chin forward towards a small shack close to the tree line a few dozen meters away. Already on it. She slunked down low and moved across the trail into the undergrowth. It took her a few seconds to get into position. Arkham, I need your sights locked in halfway up the hill. That mid-ground. Keep it hot. Those two were moving out when the defenders on the far side fell back in a tactical retreat. They maintained their skirmish lines, though. Six or so slaves being bossed around by one or two raiders. In position. I lined up and sighted on that retreating enemy line. Saw a lot of heavy weapons. Imperial gear. Probably taken from our stores at Vibus. I wondered if any of them would shoot back at us. But they were clearly distracted by the rest of the 79th platoon and the aggressive leadership of our LT. I couldn't see any of our comrades breaking through yet, but their blasters were laying a lot of heat. That whole end of the mining camp was a fog, steam from melting snow. Sighted and ready. I'm gonna pop around to the top of the mine. My target was still the main enemy line, and if that became too difficult with the ever-building steam, then I'd move on to the crane controls at the mine entrance. Engaging. I heard Mondi's E-11S through the comms channel and watched someone at the mine entrance flail backwards and scream as they fell down the mine shaft. Then Arkham opened up on some raiders looking for Mondi's position. I was focused on bringing down heavy weapons on the line. There was a Verk resetting the power coils on an E-Web. I put three holes in his back. Another raider, a 
Blue Twilic with a Z6 firing into the tree line was my next target. I never got to take the shot though, cause a mortar round landed right beside him. And when it went, their entire line broke. The raiders retreated towards the mine en masse, and as they moved closer, I took aim and shot low. Hit one of them in the leg, a big Miri Allen, dark green complexion. Now, if someone is flailing on the ground screaming and grasping their legs, they'll wind up sowing more confusion than just another limp body. And that's what we wanted, confusion. I turned to the crane controls when three well-placed bolts tore into the vegetation around me. I can see you, Imperial. Too bad you can't say the same. I didn't know who was talking or where they were. The shots came from above, but that's all I had. They were moving between shots. I asked Arkham and Mondi if they had eyes on whoever was targeting me. Before they could answer, I heard a detonator bounce off a tree branch to my right. I got up and ran as fast as I could, and I saw a bolt flash right past my face. I dove forward and was still in the air when the detonator went off behind me. I was slammed into the mud as a small tree came down on me. Then I laid there, under a pile of green sludge and ice. Why, you good? I groaned. I saw the target. She's headed up the scaffolding to the mine entrance. You see her, Arkham? I see her, but there's too many of the slaves in the way. The LT said not to shoot. This meant I was safe to crawl out at least. My overcoat was ripped and torn there were branches stuck to my weapon. But I got in position and took aim. By now, the raiders were gathered around the mine shaft, some of them clamoring down cables, others getting lowered by the cranes as one slave after another got shoved towards the crane controls. But the mine shaft wasn't my sector. I was looking for my own targets and found them with a raider springing up the catwalks. He slammed his A280 into the backs of the slaves ahead of him. And I locked in, pulled the trigger, but my rifle didn't fire. As I was spot checking my E11S, trying to figure out what the problem was, I was rocked by a massive explosion. Everything shook and the whole top of the mine went up. It wasn't a fireball, it was a cloud of boulders, mud, steam, and it went a hundred meters or so into the air. The concussive force put everyone on their asses. I huddled as debris, shards of twisted metal, bent and torn, bits of bodies, all of it rained down on us. The slaves' collars started going off, one by one. These meaty, wet pops. Murray, get HQ on the line. Get them to jam any signals coming in or out. Trying, sir. Jamming the detonation signal was the right call. But as we tried to save slave lives, one of the raiders raised their rifle and took shots at them point blank. Hefspar grabbed the rifle out of their hand and slammed their head six inches into the mud. 
Then the troopers were taking out anyone in uniform, all while slave collars went off around them. I saw Tolan move in with his vibro blade to slice one free. No, don't. It'll blow if you try and cut it off. Weapons down, 79. Murray, how are we with that jamming signal? The crossfire is acknowledging the request, but hasn't replied. I broke out of the canopy and jogged in to find the LT. Jintala and Hefspar were still subduing any of the surviving raiders while Sergeant Kyra reorganized his squad and led them up the side of the hill, trying to secure the actual mine entrance. Then another collar went off. Sir, they've established the signal. The site is jammed. Last word was that they're sending down an intelligence detail. I saw Orto sigh. He dropped his shoulders during a deep exhale. Then with a sharp intake, he said, All right, 79. Let's secure the area. Kyra, lock down the mine entrance. Hefspar, get the prisoners stripped, bound and gagged. And ensure anyone with the collar is isolated. Gentala, begin sweeping the rest of the settlement. One building at a time. Watch for booby traps. I met up with Mondi and Arkham as we closed in on the LT. Mondi had a bloody nose from some piping that bounced off a tree trunk and clocked her in the face. Scouts, good to see you made it. You're here to help Vama and Husto with the wounded. What about us? Are we going to wind up as prisoners? Those assholes came into our village. They took our kids. They took our kids! We don't even know where they are. Said they were going to kill them. What are you going to do? They're doing it everywhere. The Vista all the way to the Car Sea. You've got to help us. We'll do everything we can, but please... Stay home until the techs arrive. We'll get those collars off and get you all some proper food and shelter. His words weren't much of a comfort to her. She protested as a blood-caked Eltherium pulled her away to where the rest of the prisoners were being processed. That's really all we could do. Keep them together and wait for Imperial security forces to sift through them. Our two medics were still dealing with some pretty bad cases, so they gave us a quick once-over. How's the nose, Monda High? Not dizzy or anything, are you? No, I'm fine. Good. There's plenty of wounded by that tree line we didn't get on approach. Take a look. Keep your blasters handy, and if anyone still breathing has a severe head or neck injury, don't move them. Come calling and we'll head over and check it out. We did as asked, assessing the wounded, helping those we could, tanging those we couldn't. Orto made contact with the squads from the 78th. They were pretty chewed up. Their LT wasn't rattled though, and he complimented us on how well we'd handled ourselves. Then the lardies came down. We loaded the severely wounded for evac, and they were just getting airborne when two Sentinel-class landers made their approach. And off marched the usual contingent of buckets. And a dozen or so white coats. Imperial intelligence. A sure sign there was more going on than anyone felt we needed to know. Excellent work, Lieutenant. Have your people secured the prisoners? Yes, sir. They've been detained in one of the larger common buildings within the compound. And these press gang fighters, the ones wearing collars, what have you done with them? They're being held in another building. I've given them medical attention, but we'll need some techs to get those collars off. The Trandoshan made. Disgusting. The two officers walked towards the village, buckets and more intelligence workers in tow. 
I caught Arkham looking at them with a furrowed brow. I don't know what it is, but those white coats just give me the creeps, man. Just... shifty. Couldn't blame him. Every story involving intelligence officers ended horribly. It usually meant you were never seen again. But we got back to work, cleaning things up, doing whatever we were told. And again, the sergeants did their best to ensure the buckets knew we weren't their personal thralls. Give me regular reports, please. To be blunt, we dogged it, taking as much time as possible to do everything. Cracking jokes, decompressing, burning through most of our sticks in the process. It took close to six hours before we were finally led onto the Sentinels and flown back to the hill which was now being referred to as Hotel 20. Ah yes, Hotel 20. A wonderful destination, known for mud, blaster fire, and parasitic infection. What does Imperial Intelligence want with that mine entrance? Who are these prisoners being forced to fight? Will the new deployment strategy be effective in dealing with the growing threat on Seston 4's surface? That's next time on Episode 16, All Paths Lead to Suffering. Thank you for joining me this week on Fearless Fred Presents Mud 79, a Star Wars fan fiction podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you follow the show so you'll never miss an episode. While you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. It helps grow the show and will make my contemptible harpy of a producer very happy. We're available for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and wherever else you get your favorite streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information and a full listing of Mud79's cast. If you want to reach out to me directly, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at fearless underscore Fred or email me at mud79 at curiouscast.ca. This show is hosted and written by me, Fred Kennedy, and Dila Velasquez, the Harpy, our producer. Sound design is by moi and final production is by Rob Johnson. And I'll see you next week for more Mud 79.